Marini's Media. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, Real Madrid win La Liga. How Zizi makes it look not difficult. What's next for Barca? And Villarreal say thanks for the memories, less so for the Emery's. Turkey, Basaksha, here we go, as big three blow up on the backs of the Bosphorus. And Syria, Juve almost champ. And how Claudio Ranieri revamped Sam. All that plus Ballon d'Or and who'll win the Champions League in this Total Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, welcome to another Euro edition. With us today, it's hello, James Horncastle. Hello there. Julian Laurent is also with us. Bonjour. Exactly. And look out, here comes Alvaro Romeo. Hello, guys. Hello to you, Alvaro. Later on, Yudi Amali will be joining us to talk about the end of the Turkish season. Woof. But only one place for us to start today, and that's no Ballon d'Or this year. France Football announcing on Monday... No award for World Player of the Year due to the disruption caused by the coronavirus. Yet another blow, this, from 2020. Jules, is this Macron again? <laughs> that would be funny <laughs> if, if uh, you know, we were to discover in the next few days that uh, he thought, you know what, Kylian Mbappé can probably not win it unless he, unless he wins the Champions League. But clearly, France football thought that because it was a bit unfair, they said some leagues started before others, some didn't start again. And... I think that's maybe where the conspiracy came, theory came, is that you know the people thought because Ligue 1 didn't start again, that means Neymar and Mbappe, for example, having less chances to win it. Uh, that's why we're going to scrap it. Let's not forget that the the issue with the winner of the Ballon d'Or is the biggest selling issue in a year for France football. That's where they make most of their money. Same with the one before, same with the one after. So for them not having the Ballon d'Or is a huge loss, not just in terms financially, but also for the image, for what it represents and stuff like that. So trust me, if they took that decision, it was not just to accommodate French players or Ligue 1 players or PSG players. It, it must have been a really tough decision for them to take. Well, listeners are irate, both of them. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Doom says no Ballon d'Or being awarded is a disgrace. There is football, so it should be awarded. Please discuss. Maracas Flute, uh, asked, with the Ballon d'Or not taking place, who would each of the panellists give the award to? And who do they think would have won it this year? What do you think, Alvaro? Who who should have won it? That's a very tough call. And uh, I think that it, it was still a little bit too early to say, really. I'm sorry, but uh, it's difficult for me to to say a player. But probably uh, somebody from Liverpool, as they won the title so comprehensively. Maybe Sadio Mane this time. Really? Okay. I mean, as you say, it is quite early because you've got... <laughs> You've got Champions League and Europa League to come in August. OK, Sadio Mane. It's, it's a distorted season. Yes. Look, I think it would come down to either one of Robert Lewandowski or Karim Benzema. Benzema's candidacy there is another reason why these conspiracy theories being put out there that, ah, this French publication didn't want uh, to award the, uh, the Ballon d'Or because... Uh, Liga had been cancelled. No, I, one of the one of the best candidates to win this win this award this year is French. Um, and so, for me, I would say Lewandowski, who at the moment is the top scorer in the Champions League, what with eleven goals in six games, he is. Um, I think it's actually uh, more games. I don't know, but uh, thirty four goals in the league. He's he's currently wearing the golden shoe, even though Ronaldo can maybe take it off him. So I think Lewandowski for me would be would be a prime candidate to win this win this award. If I may, James, I'm going to get on board with uh, James Horncastle. I totally forgot Lewandowski. He could be my candidate too. Yeah. Okay, Jules. But we have to wait for the the end of the Champions League. You yeah, can't but decide. The listener us now. <laughs> who who now? If you're giving it now, okay, who, now who would deserve it now? Just I say Benzema. Re- we'll move on. Yeah, Benzema. We'll move on. <laughs> anyway, much much to discuss today. Uh, oh, you've got Real Madrid are the new Spanish champions. You've got a big mess in the uh, Segunda Liga. Uh, you've got Turkey, Monaco, Jules, and much more. Next up, though, because uh, it's fresh, Monday night's Juventus Lazio. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. 
Saldi all'impostazione, Luis Felipe del cerchio centrale del campo, attenzione che ha perso palla. Di Bala e Ronaldo contro nessuno. Di Bala, Di Bala, in area di rigore. Di Bala, Di Bala, Di Bala, Ronaldo porta vuota. Il raddoppio della Juventus. Lazio. This was an eagerly awaited game. Uh, back when Lazio looked like title challengers. Their woeful form since the restart is rather put paid to that. But still, it was a big match. How did you feel about Juve's 2-1 win, James Horncastle? On the one hand, uh, congratulations to Juventus because they have won the league title. Um, They've somehow managed to extend their lead from just a point in front of Lazio on the eve of the restart um, to what it is now, which I think is double figures over Lazio and it's uh, eight over Inter, nine over Atalanta. And they've done that without being entirely convincing. Um, And they've done it with moments of individual brilliance, really, um, rather than a collective endeavour from Maurizio Sarri. But on the game last night, um, you know, I I felt it was always difficult to expect Lazio to to get a result considering how depleted they were. You know, they had nine players out injured, five of whom you would say are first-choice regulars. They had could only name six instead of 11 players on the bench, um, three of whom had never played in Serie A before. Um, so in some respects, you then you then judge the performance differently because they almost got a point. <laughs> you know, they they, they hit the post. Um, Immobile had a good effort. He obviously scored his 30th goal of the season as well from the penalty spot as Juventus gave away another spot kick, this time not for a handball. Um, so... You know, ultimately, it was the Dybala show, which I think, again, raises another question here because Dybala wasn't supposed to be in the starting 11. He was, you know, as the teams were read out, his name wasn't on it um, for the second straight game. Uh, Gonzalo Higuain was supposed to be starting and got hurt in the warm-up, sort of felt a twinge in his back. So Dybala comes on by accident rather than design and is the man of the match. It's kind of the story of their season, no? Precisely. Well, Ronaldo gets a brace, uh, one... Sitter that was laid up, uh, served up from by Dybala, the other one being a penalty, which opened the scoring, which also puts him on 30 goals. Uh, only three players in 60 years have managed to score 30 or more goals in a Serie A season. We've now got two, though, in Ronaldo and Chido Immobile. Yeah, you have to go back to what Nordal and uh, Isfan Nies um, to, to find another two players who. Scored more than 30 goals in, in the same season. Um, I think they would be looking at it and thinking, hang on a minute, we didn't get ne- anywhere near as many penalties as those two guys who've got, what, 12 or 13 between them <laughs> over the course of the season, which has kind of vastly inflated those numbers. But in Immobile's case, he's had a tough restart. You know, he was miles out in front of, of Ronaldo uh, when the game came back. And has struggled, as has all of Lazio, with the injuries that they they suffered in the final week going into their first game um, at the return to play against Atalanta in Bergamo. Was Ronaldo has kind of I think he scored in almost every game um, since since the restart as well. And you know again you do have to doff your cap to him because he's what the fastest player ever to reach 50 goals in Serie A. He, he's uh, he's got there I think six games quicker than Andriy Shevchenko did. Which you know again I think Shevchenko would say, hang on a minute, look at the defenders I was playing against. Um, uh, but uh, that's a remarkable achievement. I think he's only one goal away um, from matching. Um, the record, uh, the most prolific season ever play- ha- had by a Juventus player, which is uh, Felice, il Fafellino, the little butterfly Borel back in the 30s. So, you know, credit where it's due for, for Cristiano, even though you could also make the debate that are Juventus ever going to be able to play the kind of football that Sarri wants with a player like him in this team? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? We'll touch on that perhaps in a second. Just to mention that uh, Cristiano is now chasing down Higuain's Serie A goal record of 36 uh, goals in a season set back in his Napoli days. Juve, meanwhile, can seal officially the title Thursday in Udine. But as James points out, it's all sorted. couple of quick tweets for you here. SWD262 says, Will Milinkovic, Savic and Luis Alberto stay at Lazio? And Galtam Kardegar says, Paratici and Sarri, or Paratici, sorry, and Sarri, seem to confirm that he's going to be staying at Juve next season. So what's up with the Poch rumours? Huh, James. <laughs> so I don't think there's anything to the Poch rumours. Um, you know, Juventus were unequivocal uh, last night in saying that uh, Maurizio Sarri will definitely be um, the coach of the club next season. I know that their recruitment has been done very much with him in mind. 
Um, you know, we talked about the Artur deal and the other layers to it, but he's a player that very much kind of fits the profile of midfielder that Sarri wants, as does Kulusevski, who they signed in January to come in um, at the start of next season, who can play as a number 10, who can play out wide. So I think it's unlikely, even if um, they were to stink it up against Lyon in, the, in their second leg of the round of 16, for, for them to make a change at this stage. I think that's been fairly consistent from Juventus throughout in saying that the reason they gave Sarri a three-year deal was because they understand that it takes time to see this style of football. And then as for Milinkovic and Luis Alberto, yeah, Lazio is a very difficult place to get players out of. Um, it's a little bit like Spurs. Yeah, Milinkovic, they, they wanted 100 million a couple of years ago and he's kind of been back to his best this season. So I think they'd be looking at that again. And I think as with a lot of clubs who have top talent, which pre-COVID was, you know, sort of been touted around uh, the Calcio Mercato, the transfer window as, as being 100 million or 80 million euro players, they know that they're not going to get that kind of money this summer. And so they're sitting tight. And I think Lazio will be in the Champions League for the first time in a long, long time um, this uh, this season, uh, this coming season. And uh, that will be enough to persuade those players to stay. I All right. So there you go. Nice one, James. All right. Well, we'll have more from City very shortly. But next up, let's meet the new Liga champions of Real Madrid. La saca Chacla y él tampoco se veía. Atención a la contra, que es peligrosísima. Luca Modric, Karim Benzema, Benzema. Last Thursday, a 2-1 victory over Villarreal, coupled with Barcelona's shock defeat to Osasuna, saw Real Madrid winning their 34th Spanish title, their first since far off 2017. Many heroes, Alvaro, that you'll probably want to applaud here. Benzema, Ramos, Asensio. Thibaut Courtois becomes, I think, only the second player ever to win the Spanish title at both Atletico and Real. Or should we begin with the quiet man himself, Zinedine Zidane? It's remarkable to think that back in October, the stories were that he was one defeat away from dismissal. They'd been off to a terrible start, lost the first two games in the, in the Champions League. and uh, thanks, to, that... thanks to Daniel Levy as well for signing Jose Mourinho for the Spurs because right. uh, Real Madrid had him as a candidate. And uh, at the end, well, uh, Jose Mourinho wasn't available. Zinedine Zidane started winning games. And uh, yeah, uh, the story has been really good for them. I mean, they, they've been... Uh, really solid defensively and now to make the season successful they have to beat Manchester City and make mm. it to the quarterfinals of the Champions League come back from 2-1 down from the uh, home leg what do you think guys should should Zidane be up there with the Klops the Peps the Gasparinis and Gattuso's <laughs> undoubtedly I think he's yeah no one on that list can uh, uh, can dispute what he's won what he's achieved in fact no one can hold a candle to it uh, frankly, um, he's the most successful manager in uh, of this era. So you know all the skepticism about him, this idea that he was some kind of facilitator who would just basically t t you know sort of let the lads do whatever they wanted. You can see, I think this year in particular, um, which has felt kind of like a transition year uh, for Madrid, um, moving away from some of the players who won the Champions League with him when he was last manager. Um, imposing a kind of different structure on the team, a defensive structure on the team, which has made them really good. I know Jules thinks that this is the best Madrid defence for decades. Um, so I think he's he's been outstanding. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it still feels like perceptions of him are uh, viewed through the prism of Zidane being a better player than, uh, than all of these... Uh, all of these rivals, let's say, um, in in coaching, and yet he seems to be. It's certainly his his his. He seems to be as good a manager as he was a player. And if I if I may, before Jules uh, talks about Zidane, he he is a man that makes decisions as well. I mean, let's not forget that Zinedine Zidane he is a brave man. He does a lot of rotations. He's got pretty much pretty much the whole squad involved. Uh, maybe Hammer Rodriguez and Gareth Bale have been the, the only ones who weren't able to play as much as we thought they would be playing. But he doesn't mind to rotate, uh, he doesn't mind to play, for example, a player like uh, Mariano Díaz in El Clásico, a player who has played this season around 40 minutes, and he did score a goal, a goal in El Clásico. So he makes decisions, he's a decision maker as well. So 
We cannot forget that uh, Kiss bravery is also very important for Real Madrid. This is not a man that uh, makes the easy thing. No, no, not at all. This is a man who um, goes for the tactical switch that he really wants to do, uh, and he doesn't mind much uh, about what they will think about it. I, th I think the other point uh, about him is that he's, he, I think he's, he was hurt by the lack of appreciation and I think the lack of credit that he got for what he did in his first spell at the club the fact that he cried after that game when they when they won the league which is the, f the first time he cried after winning a title of, of the, the 10 before he never cried after a Champions League final never cried after winning La Liga in 2017 and I think that that shows a lot how much this meant to me to him and to this was this still meaning to him to win that Liga in 2020 Of course, you can say that it's a, it's an average season in La Liga. There was the problem with the pandemic. Barca were a mess. Other teams as well were either in transition or, you know, even Atletico Madrid has struggled at the time. But, but for him, I think he was so important to win this one to, as Alvaro and James said, the way they did it very defensively, 21 different goal scorers as well. Karim Benzema carrying that team offensively as well. But... It's, I think it's what he meant in terms of, okay, I came back in a very difficult environment in March 2019. It was a really hard second half of that season where they really struggled. Back in October, he could have been sacked easily. They go to Galatasaray in the Champions League and if they don't win that game, I think he's out of the door and he knows it. And then they go and win Sevilla as well. And, and you know how difficult it's been. And for, for them to go back and win nine in a row, Uh, after the restart and then they drew the last game but it didn't really matter to be fair but with all that pressure and expectations all those tough moments all the way until the end of that, that season a really really long season I think you, 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 the, 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 the tears and, and when he cried you, you could see how much that meant to him Okay uh, Alexi Yarvampar would like to know what has happened to Eden Hazard who uh, has described the season as the worst of his career of course ankle injuries uh, have been behind a lot of that. Also, is one negative about Zidane's season, the way that he's handled or the club's handled the Hammers, Rodriguez and Gareth Bale situations? And are both those players heading out this summer, Alvaro? Well, uh, I would say that I wouldn't blame Zinedine Zidane for the hang handling of Hammer uh, Rodriguez and Gareth Bale. Uh, I think that you can blame the players, if anything, because uh, they have been given few opportunities as well and they never played well uh, whenever they were on the pitch. And Well, the situation between Gareth Bale and Zinedine Zidane uh, hasn't been difficult, uh, hasn't been easy, sorry, from the, from the moment that Gareth Bale, after the Champions League final uh, in 2018, uh, he basically said that uh, he wanted to play more and he wanted to feel more important. And uh, Zinedine Zidane left. Uh, it looked like it was a Gareth Bale season without uh, Zidane in charge uh, with uh, Lopetegui and, uh, well, uh, Six or seven months later, Zinedine Zidane came back to the team and he found Gareth Bale. Last summer, Zinedine Zidane said in July, around this time of the year, that he wanted Gareth Bale out and if it was tomorrow, I'm quoting him, it would be better. So the relationship between them has been like this uh, the whole season. And to be honest with you, I think that uh, Zinedine Zidane uh, uh, basically can do whatever he thinks is best for the team now. Uh, he's got... Uh, the rank uh, and he's got the hierarchy uh, after winning so many trophies and uh, Gareth Bale hasn't been up to the challenge and the same thing applies for Hammer Rodriguez. Uh, Real Madrid is going to find um, a sale from these players. Uh, Gareth Bale and his agent have said in the past that they are happy at Madrid and I think, I think that selling Gareth Bale is going to be quite difficult for, for a good money especially considering that he makes a lot of money at Real Madrid. I don't see any club paying those wages to Gareth Bale anywhere and um, Probably Real Madrid uh, will not uh, make the, the profit they will want from Gareth Bale. I don't see them selling it, selling him for more than 45 or 50 million, considering that he's over 30 now. And uh, Hammer Rodriguez is a player that has lost a lot of value lately. I mean, he went to Bayern, uh, he was all right in there, but nothing special. And at Real Madrid this season, he has barely, barely played either. So um, those are two players that Real Madrid would think Theoretically, they could, they could cash a lot of money for, but considering how the market is now after the pandemic and uh, the performances of the players lately, I don't think that they are going to manage to get a lot of money for them and probably they will have to sell them, if anything, for a very cheap price uh, to what they thought they would. Jules, Liga, Nico Kovac at Monaco. That's exciting. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe some Bayern fans, Rafa Honigstein, if he was with us, would not agree. I'm not really sure what to make of it, to be fair. I, there were some really good things that I did at Eintracht Frankfurt with, a, with maybe in a club that didn't have high expectations or high pressure and, and they still went and, and, and won the cup, for example, and did really well in the league too. Then at Bayern, in a club where you had a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations with with big players and big egos, it didn't really go down that well. So it's an interesting one. Uh, I feel a bit for Robert Moreno, who was sacked out of the blue completely, where he certainly didn't expect it, was really surprised. So were the players. He'd been in charge since December, the end of December. So hardly, hardly even four months, if you count right. the, the He's pandemic. their longest serving manager in years, no? He's not, <laughs> but yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, Kovac is the sixth in just over 18 months. If you think that then Jardim was sacked, Thierry Henry arrived, that was a disaster. Then they had uh, Frank Passy as an interim coach. Then Jardim came back, that was a disaster. Then Robert Moreno arrived, that was not very good either. And, and now Kovac, so... Paul Mitchell, who's the, the new sporting director, the former Spurs and, and RB Leipzig sporting director, I think always wanted to bring someone, or one of his guys anyway, one, a manager that was his choice. And he never really believed in Robert Moreno in the, in the couple of weeks that they, were, they worked together at the club. They had long uh, meetings and discussions and he, he didn't really think he was the right man for the job. So they sacked him. That's another check that you have to pay uh, you know, with with a fee to the guy you sacked, and then Kovac arrived. We we will see. At least he will bring, you know, I think, a lot of discipline and rigor to to the team that is probably needed. There's a lot of young players in that squad. It's still a very big squad. They'll have to sell players. Um, but yeah, it would be very interesting to see how that goes. Jules, is it a good squad? I mean, yeah, we got so used to. Uh... Monaco going through one cycle of another and they would, you know, you'd always see even at one stage of Kondogbia, Kondogbia hasn't gone on really to have the career that he promised to have and then you, know, you have Mbappe, the next one. Is there anyone there that we should be looking out for? Is or Has the recruitment, it seemed to me that it went too young, <laughs> too extreme at one stage and we haven't really seen anyone come out and uh, and be exciting or, or, or get people talking in, in the way that Monaco used to. You're right, James. And uh, I mean, it's, we've always Thanks. said it. It's, it's so difficult that, you know, when your business model is to, to build a very competitive team with young players and then sell them to make money to bigger clubs like they did with that 2017 uh, generation where Bernardo Silva and Benjamin Mendy and Bakayoko and Mbappe and even to some extent, Falcao as well, and all those Fabinho and all those great players they had, all were sold all in the space of two years for you know almost 500 million, 500 million euros. Uh, it's pretty incredible. The, the only thing is to do that again, you need a lot of hard work, a lot of time, and a lot of luck as well because you can't find a Bernardo Silva every week from a Benfica B team that you bring in for almost nothing when he's very young and then you make it the player that then moved to City. So they, they've struggled to reproduce that format really. And, and you said, uh, for example, Pietro Pellegrini that you know really well who was so promising Free in Pellegrini. Italy. And then, then the, you know, he can't, he can't train two days in a row without getting an injury. So they paid 25 million for him. Right. Jules, what happened to all that money, the 500 million? What, where is it? It's still in, in the club. They, they, they're one of the richest clubs. If you just look at you know, the, the cash available that they have, is there. The problem right. is, one, they have to, as we said, they paid a lot for the manager they sacked. I mean, Leonardo Jardim got 12 million the first time and 8 million the second time. That's 20 million euros just for sacking him twice. God knows why you brought him back in the first place. But, but then they reinvested it. We said Pellegrif, 25 million. Um, you know, Willem Jobels from Lyon at 20 million. He was 17. He was the most promising 17-year-old you could find since Kylian Mbappe. And he hasn't worked out for him yet so far at the club. So they've, they've reinvested. They spend a lot of money on Wissam Benye there, for example, who is probably the best player that they have right now. They, they pay Cesc Fabregas a lot and he doesn't do much on the pitch. So they, they, they had 64 players in their squad this season. 64 players. That's the biggest squad in the whole of Europe. 24 of them, I think, were out on loan somewhere. So it's, they've, they've done crazy stuff with their money. And it's just, it's just a big mess that now Paul Mitchell, Nico Kovac and, 
and other people at the club will have to sort out. I just don't know if there's a quick fix and that they could go back to the kind of level they were before as early as this season. And, and also, they won't be able to make more... They can't afford to make more mistakes in the recruitment anymore. OK. Jules, also in France, the Coupe de France final is on Friday. Paris Saint-Germain against Saint-Étienne, is that right? That's right. Friday and not Saturday because on Saturday... Um, well, you've got Fort Boyard, uh, the very, uh, very popular. Fort Boyard, Fort Boyard, very popular TV show on Saturday night. So they didn't want it to what, clash. So they what's moved Fort it to Boyard? Friday. You know Fort Boyard. You don't know the series no. Fort Boyard in a, in Clearly, a series. Clearly, like Dave or Bravo. Ahead of me, four kilometers out in the Atlantic Ocean, lies a Napoleonic fortress, home to tough and daunting challenges, exciting adventures, and a golden treasure guarded by tigers. Fort Boyard. So it's an old jail in the middle of the sea, not far from La Rochelle. And they oh, okay. basically put, put a lot of um, challenges in there for contestants who then win money for charity. And it's, yeah, it's, a very, it's one of the most popular shows in France. So not to clash with the, uh, the, the, the cup final. They moved the cup final to, to Friday night. Uh, All right. And PSG against Saint-Etienne, you know, they, they've, they've both been playing really well in friendlies. PSG have another friendly tonight. Um, against, against Celtic? Celtic? Yes, at the Parc mm. des Princes. Although the PSG Ultras have been in the headlines for the wrong reason after the last friendly they had at the Parc des Princes, where they, they they forgot that you had to social distance or wear a mask in you know in they were really good at that in the round of sixteen of the Champions League as well. This <laughs> yeah, seems to well. be their their thing. Who thought that could go well uh, for them to go back in the stadium and all get together to uh, you know to to chant and and sing and stuff, but. But Sanitian, just to finish on there, because I don't think we touched upon it last week, but William, William Saliba, the young and very promising, uh, talented centre-back, will not be playing. We knew that there was an issue with Arsenal. They really tried to resolve it until the end. It just didn't happen. They thought at some point that it would happen, that he could go back and play the final, but it's not the case. So they would have to do without him, which is a huge blow for Sanitian. Absolutely. A quick bit of news from Portugal. We're following Porto's triumph in Liganos. And Benfica's spectacular collapse. The Lisbon club have announced they're bringing about Jorge Jesus uh, after his brilliant spell Amazing. at uh, Flamengo. Love six it. years, six seasons he was at uh, Benfica before winning three titles and a bunch of cups and that kind of thing. That'd be nice, yeah. eh? Yes, uh, yeah. he, he was amazing at Flamengo. Eh? He, I think he's got more titles than defeats, Jorge Jesus. And he was a manager wow. that uh, he got he heavy criticism uh, upon his arrival at Flamengo by Brazilian managers uh, because he was the first foreigner to coach Flamengo and he won the Libertadores for the first time since uh, 1981. Uh, we have to remember that in the Club World Cup uh, they gave a really tough challenge to, to Liverpool to the point that Liverpool had to win the game in the extra time. And uh, yeah, Jorge Jesus, uh, he pretty much uh, signed a non-agreement pact uh, with his players to win the next Libertadores again and the next Club World Cup. I mean, that was something that was said in the locker room after losing against Liverpool and he extended his contract in June. That is the funny thing. Uh, but then he was living on his own uh, without his family. Uh, the pandemic in Brazil is hitting very hard the society as well. And uh, probably there were a number of reasons, but probably he felt very lonely in there. And at some point he decided that he wanted to go back to Portugal. But his spell at Flamengo has been astonishing. With the best, with the best squad in in the history of South American football, though, let's not forget. He had yeah, a really, yeah, almost really, two hundred really, million really budget. Squad. Yeah, still the coolest move made by a European manager. Yeah, it manager. is. You're right. It, it is. is. In a long, long time, and for me, the Ballon d'Or of coaching for this year, it goes to Jorge <laughs> Jesus, just for you know, sort of taking his talents to Copacabana and uh, and delivering. So yeah, nice. All right then. Up next, what's up next for Barcelona and the rest of the Liga news? Call it beer, call it birra, or even call it cerveza. No matter how you say it, football always goes better with a nice cold one in your hand. And that's why we've teamed up again with Beer 52. And if you fancy getting a case of eight beers sent to your home for free, just head to beer52.com football. All you need to do is pay £5.95 for delivery. Beer 52 is the world's most popular monthly craft beer discovery club, searching out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from around the world. Every month they focus on a different country or region like Croatia, Belgium, Norway and even Korea. There's no 
minimum commitment, you can just take the free case, try the beers and see what you think. If it's not for you, you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So head to beer52.com slash football and claim your free case of craft beer right now. That's beer and the number 52.com slash football. Alvaro Barcelona finishing the season in style with a 5-0 win over Alaves. Uh, they are second in the table. What happens next for the Catalans? Well, the, the next step is the Champions League, obviously. And there is a game in there against Napoli uh, that Barcelona has to negotiate. Uh, if Barcelona manages to get a nearly draw, for example, they will go through to the quarterfinals. And then it's a matter of uh, crossing their fingers and let's see what happens because they are playing a very tough opposition in the quarterfinals. Uh, it's still to be seen uh, whether Kike Setien will be Barcelona's manager in the Champions League. I still don't think that this is a 100% uh, confirmed. Every time uh, Bartomeu is asked about the future of uh, Kike Setien, he doesn't want to be... He, he doesn't want to confirm 100% his stay, all right? And uh, it will be a suicide at the same time, just getting rid of Kike Setien uh, to play uh, the Champions League with a new manager because there are no candidates over there. Uh, the only candidate that... Uh, Barcelona wants to sign uh, for a, a long-term project is Xavi Hernández and uh, Xavi Hernández is pretty much bonded to the next candidate for the next elections in 2021. So if they suck Kike Setien and they go for the manager of the academy, for example, to, to play Champions League with them, that would be a really bold move. But anyway, I've seen so many bold moves in Barcelona that everything <laughs> is possible. Alvaro, is that a problem for, say, if they do move on from Kike Setien, particularly with next season in mind, and there isn't anyone, and they have to go to the market and basically persuade someone to take that job, um, yeah, knowing that Xavi's not, uh, that, uh, yeah, that candidate will be like, like well, these guys who are going to hire me aren't going to be around in a year or, or nine months or whatever it is. And the guy who's coming in has his own man in mind, which is Xavi. I mean, that's a, that's a nightmare. <laughs> it, it is a nightmare. And it will be a problem for Barcelona as a club, James. I think that for whoever the manager that gets, uh, you know, a, a chance, let's talk in hypothetical terms. Let's say Marcelino, one of the very good uh, regarded Spanish managers, manager of Valencia last season. Uh, let's say that Marcelino gets a call from Barcelona and he knows all the all the conditionals that you are saying, I think that he will accept anyway. But it will be bad for Barcelona because uh, basically there wouldn't be in there a long-term vision. It will be just a short-term vision uh, and it will be just a waiting for the elections in June 2021. So uh, Barcelona, what needs now is a little bit of uh, stability. And I believe that uh, what is happening on the pitch hasn't helped. Uh, Real Madrid has had a terrific form, relentless at the end of the season. Barcelona hasn't been able to replicate that. And uh, after losing against Osasuna, Lionel Messi spoke uh, to La Liga, La Liga microphones. And uh, normally he doesn't do it voluntarily, but this time he really wanted to send the message across. Lionel Messi, normally he doesn't talk. And he said that Barcelona had been against Osasuna last uh, midweek. Inconsistent, weak. He said that the opponents had more eagerness. And if they play like that, they will lose against Napoli. So that was a huge statement, a message to the whole club, the manager, the president, the players. And then they beat Alaves 5-0, uh, playing some of the youngsters like uh, Ricky or Ansu Fati. And I think that uh, Barcelona was much better and Messi was much happier after the game. He was uh, saying that that victory, despite being against an already mm, safe Alaves, was a huge step forward after a week in which uh, they had done a lot of self self-critic in the locker room. So I think that what happens on the pitch is uh, what is going to obviously change Barcelona's mood. Uh, they beat uh, Villarreal comfortably after the pandemic. They beat uh, Alaves comfortably after the pandemic. If they can build from those really good performances and results, uh, perhaps uh, a little bit of optimism can uh, filter through the players and the club. But again, I, I still don't forget, and it's very difficult to forget, that Barcelona has had uh, sorry, terrible performances after the pandemic, and that is really the real Barcelona, rather than the one that beat 5-0 a la vez. OK, Messi uh, with a goal in that game, finishing top scorer for the seventh time, and also top assist man in the league of this season. 25 goals, 25 assists. Elsewhere... 
Uh, Atletico Madrid and Sevilla take the other two Champions League spots alongside Real Madrid and Barcelona for next season. Villarreal uh, in fifth into the Europa League. Real Sociedad as well. And taking the last Europa League spot, promoted Granada. Thanks to a 4-0 win over hapless Athletic Club de Bilbao this weekend. Uh, <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. Qualifying for Europe for the first time in their history, Granada into Europe. Toby Noakes says... Why haven't the Natarias received uh, more praise? They've done even better than Sheffield uh, United have in the Premier League. Well, I think that they have received uh, enough praise in, in Spain and uh, Getafe deserves uh, that praise as well because in Europa League they've been doing really well and they knock out uh, Ajax. Uh, so let's don't forget that as well. But uh, I think that Diego Martinez, the manager, is the, the key of all this. He's the maverick. Uh, before the game against Athletic de Bilbao, uh, he wrote uh, a message in the locker room saying, only the sky is higher than us. And, uh, and yeah, the players uh, got very motivated uh, for the last game. Uh, this is a manager that Monchi signed for Sevilla's academy in 2009 when uh, Diego Martinez was still like 26 years old, but Monchi saw the potential in there. And... Uh, we have to say that Europe comes as a surprise for a team like uh, Granada. Uh, the players had to negotiate the bonuses uh, to qualify for Europe last week because uh, that wasn't uh, reflected in their contracts. Uh, we don't forget that this is a team with a 36 million euro budget, the third lowest in La Liga, and uh, the only when they started playing uh, the season this year, they were only fighting uh, to avoid relegation. Uh, but yeah, uh, some of the players have a step up, the likes of Domingo, Herrera, uh, Carlos Fernandez, Soldado, uh, the former Spurs striker, they've been sensational. And um, yeah, it's a good mix of uh, experienced players with some youth, and I think that Granada, Granada can be a one-off. I think that Getafe's project under Bordalas is definitely more solid than Granada's, but uh, it's a great season for them, and uh, having few trips in Europe is going to help the, their budget a lot. Alvaro, when you say budgets, do you mean uh, their salary, their their wage bill? Yes, the, the wage bill, sorry. Because yeah, yeah. that's that's around the same as Atalantis. So, you know, I mean, again, come on, Granada. Book your ideas up. That's not good Atalanta. enough, is it? It's not good enough. There is always Bergamo a good born and bread. to talk about Atalanta, James. I can see. <laughs> always, always. If you can yeah. say something about Atalanta. What did they do this weekend, James? Oh, you'd forgotten. You'd forgotten. <laughs> Meanwhile, going down from La Liga, Espanyol, Mallorca and Leganés. Oof. As Alvaro points out, maybe they might have stayed up had they been able to keep hold of their top scorer, Martin Braithwaite, who was poached so uh, rudely by Barcelona just after the January transfer winner. They still managed to make it an incredible finale, taking it right to the death of uh, the final game of the season and that 2-2 draw with, with Real Madrid. Yes, and I think that... Uh... They will also lament for a long time that uh, the referee didn't call uh, a handball of Luka Jovic in Real Madrid's uh, box. Some of those uh, type of penalties have been called in La Liga, not this time. And it would have been uh, a chance for Leganes to win the, the game 3-2. But uh, as you said, James, uh, there is a ridiculous rule in La Liga that has to be uh, overruled, uh, which is uh, that one that uh, you can basically sign outside of the transfer window if, uh, if you lose one of your players. Uh, Martin Braithwaite and went to Barcelona in the middle of the season and the Leganes needed those goals. You can imagine that uh, with four or five more goals from Martin Braithwaite, Leganes would have uh, collected more points and uh, therefore they would be an overseason in La Liga. Uh, let's not forget that when they played against uh, Real Madrid the other day, uh, there were only two players in a Leganes lineup that they scored more than one goal in the season. One of them was Asale with two goals and the other one Oscar Rodriguez with nine. But they took N City. Uh, out of the team in the winter uh, transfer window and the city was doing very well he went to Sevilla and then when they had to sell Braithwaite it was like a huge blow for them they couldn't right. recover from that absolutely the fact they were allowed to well Barcelona were allowed to take him but Leganes weren't allowed to sign a replacement just madness uh, also saying goodbye to La Liga Villarreal Santi Cazola, who won't be extending his co contract, he's off to the Middle East. And Bruno Soriano, 36-year-old, who's uh, retiring now. It's not all bad news for fans of the Yellow Submarine, because apparently Unai Emery will be taking over as their manager <laughs> next season. Yes, yeah, uh, it's, it's, not, it's very it's likely. You know, That's great you know what happens uh, with the Unai, Unai Emery thing? Uh, Calleja was uh, under huge questioning, the already sacked Villarreal manager. He was under huge questioning before the confinement. And uh, Villarreal, what they did was uh, signing a pre-agreement with Unai Emery back in March. 
and if uh, Villarreal didn't sign the agreement at the end of the season with Unai Emery, they had to pay a one million compensation to the former Arsenal manager. The pandemic uh, was kind of over, uh, football came back and Villarreal started getting great results under Calleja and then they were under this huge uh, conundrum, what do we do now? Do we stick to Calleja who happens to be doing great now or we we go for Unai Emery, uh, a person we have a pre-agreement with? Well, at the end they stick to Unai Emery, the liquidation of, uh, of Calleja was uh, one million. Uh, and they decided to pay the million to Calleja instead of to, to Unai Emery. So Emery will be the manager of uh, Villarreal next season, and Bruno Soriano won't be there. Uh, but anyway, Bruno Soriano was just a symbolic figure because he has played no more than three games in the last three years. And Santi Cazorla will be there, uh, won't be there. And it's a real shame. Uh, he's going to Al-Sad, to the team of Xavi. He has scored 16 goals uh, in all competitions this year. And uh, I wish La Liga had seen a little bit more of him, uh, Cesc Fabregas, David Silva, Juan Mata, all those midfielders that uh, maybe they weren't as important for the Spanish national team, like uh, Xavi Iniesta Busquets and Xavi Alonso, but they've been away for a number of years playing in Premier League, and uh, mm, yeah, maybe Spain hasn't seen enough of them, really, thinking about it now, and uh, I think that Santi Cazorla's career uh, in Spain has been a little bit too short, because his best years were definitely at Arsenal. It makes me sad a bit that Cazorla is going to the Middle East and you know I know he's 35 and but the story is so amazing the way he came back to play football when some doctors were telling him that he would not even walk again and and then to have such a great season in La Liga in a team that finished fifth and then to go to to the Middle East it's just like oh really it's like I don't know it's and I love him and he's a great guy and you know if he wanted to take one big check last one fair enough I understand that of course but I don't know. The whole thing was such a miracle, so beautiful, and then then you finish it and you go to. It's grubby now, isn't it? Yeah. It's a bit I, like I, I oh, it. tawdry. Santi yeah. Cazorla, personally, uh, because I I did uh, some media work for Arsenal in the past, and uh, he he is one of the loveliest uh, footballers I've yeah, ever met. No, really, great. he never has uh, complained about anything. I remember that some of the interviews we were doing to him were extremely long, and he was always there with a smile. A very nice guy, Santi Cazorla. He was excellent, really. And uh, we have to say as well about this guy. Uh, last summer, he got the chance to, to go already to Al-Sad. And he stayed in Villarreal out of uh, niceness uh, to a club that, uh, you know, waited until he recovered from his injury. So he could have left last summer and he waited one more year for Villarreal. Okay. I used to see him at the bus stop. His son, my son, my oldest one, used to play football with his son. Awesome. There you go. There you go. Did he did he did he make this decision when he found out that Emery was coming in? Is that is that? <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> Maybe. Now uh, we should also quickly mention uh, the situation down in the second division. And a series of positive tests for Fuenlabrada meant that their last day clash in Segunda with Deportivo La Coruña was postponed. But other results meant that it was irrelevant to Deportivo's survival hopes. They are down to the third tier. 20 years after winning the Spanish title and, of course, lighting up the Champions League as well. Crikey, Alvaro. Yeah, it's a real shame for Deportivo de la Coruña, but they are not uh, content with this and they are going to appeal because they think that the, the whole game week should be repeated. Let me explain you as quick as I can what happened in Segunda because this is interesting, actually. In 60 seconds, starting <laughs> now. <laughs> I will try. Well, the season final game week was scheduled for Monday. And there were big right. games with a promotion playoff or a relegation at stake. Deportivo against Fuenlabrada uh, was a game in which both participants had something to play for. Deportivo, avoid relegation. Fuenlabrada finished among the playoff places. Well, early in the evening on Monday, it was announced that seven members of the Fuenlabrada contingent tested positive for COVID-19. And those players from Fuenlabrada were already in La Coruña, 600 kilometers away from Madrid. At 8 p.m. Spanish time, the National Sports Council says that every game but that one will be played. And 15 minutes later, La Liga corroborates the suspension of the Deportivo Fuenlabrada game to protect the players' health and the integrity of the competition. I'm quoting La Liga now. Well, however, by doing that, there is a very crucial change in the schedule because not all the games will be played simultaneously. And this is the where the complaint starts because Rayo Vallecano plays for promotion and says that if Deportivo is already relegated before playing their game, Fuenlabrada will easily beat them. 
Rayo Vallecano manager also reveals that he left the player out of the squad for the game, as the player told him that he was hanging around with Fulabrada players a day before. And Elche, fighting for promotion, complains about a similar thing than Rayo Vallecano. The fact that, uh, you know, the, the league is a little bit twisted if all the games are not played simultaneously. And Deportivo, the most effective of all, because now they are in the third division, says that by losing the simultaneous games card, or the chip that they, they were able to, able to trigger, uh, they weren't able to put pressure on their opponents by scoring quick in their game. So let's see what happens in there. Uh, but uh, my midnight yesterday, uh, the, it was announced that there were 12 positive cases in total in the Fuenlabrada squad between players and, uh, you know, uh, the entourage of the team. So let's see how it goes. But uh, if any game has to be repeated of or if the whole game week has to be repeated in order to play simultaneously all the games, which I doubt, uh, this will delay the promotion playoffs. Uh, and this is terrible as, as well for Spanish football because uh, there are no dates available and the pandemic uh, is having a lot of outbreaks in Spain. So, ah, uh, you know, we yes. are in a worse situation than we were in May. No, I mean, this was uh, uh, something that came up after Napoli's game because obviously there are restrictions being imposed in Catalonia at the moment, right? In terms of like go, phasing back towards something like a lockdown. Um, and obviously the second leg of that tie is coming up between Napoli and, and Barcelona. And at the moment, it's still there to go ahead. But yeah, the situation does seem to be uh, deteriorating, not just there, but in lots of other places all over the world. Are there suggestions that it might be held in a neutral venue? Not yet, as far as I am aware. Uh, but uh, the thing is that in the last uh, two weeks, the COVID-19 cases have tripled up in Spain after the measures were relaxed. And uh, yeah, let's see how it goes. I don't think that this game should be necessarily played somewhere else. But uh, looking ahead at next season, uh, perhaps there will be... Um, there will be some changes and, uh, you know, at some point uh, there was some optimism uh, among some Spanish club presidents saying that next season you will be able to play uh, with fans in the ground. And uh, I don't think that that's going to be so easy considering how the COVID-19 is uh, expanding again in Spanish uh, territory. Mm. Four rounds to go still in Serie A. We're going to be talking about uh, the latest from Italy uh, beyond Juve and Lazio's Monday Night Clash after this. City has still four rounds to go. Top four are now sorted. A, James Horncastle, Juventus, Inter, Atalanta and Lazio. Behind them, Milan keep flying. A 5-1 win over Bologna at the weekend. They're going to be playing Sassuolo this Tuesday evening. They're still planning to replace the manager, Stefano Pioli. Meanwhile, over across town at Neighbours Inter, uh, Antonio Conte still complaining, uh, this time after... Inter's big 2-2 draw with Roma, which kind of ended their title aspirations. Yeah, he's been complaining about the schedule, um, saying that uh, you know Inter always have to play every three days. You know their 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 opponents often have one day more to prepare than they have, and you know Juventus had five days between their game, their last game, and the one against Lazio. Um, so yeah, Conte really turning on his uh, his old club. Uh, and making a lot of excuses, um, uh, really, uh, which you know I, th I think is something that he always said yeah, teams and managers should never do. Right. Um, he did say he didn't want to complain, though, so I don't know if that helps he at did, all. He did say he didn't want to complain after complaining and then continuing to complain. And he also um, said the wor it's worrying that I'm the only person at the club saying this. Conte, I don't know whether he feels protected um, by Beppe Marotta, the, the chief executive there, who was uh, the guy who appointed him at Juventus and then appointed him at Inter. Whether he just feels that like he can say whatever he likes and Marotta will kind of turn the other cheek. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the direct question put to him was, you know, when the schedule was being decided, presumably there were guys from Inter in the room um, and his his answer was, oh, well, clearly we weren't there then. Um, but you know, with Conte, it's 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 always somebody else's fault. It's it's never his own. Now that that doesn't take away from the fact that he's a great manager who's improved this team. I think it re it's it's really hurting Conte that he's looking at this Juve side. He knows they were there for the taking. He knows they were vulnerable. That they're conceding lots and lots of goals. 
and considering the investment made at Inter, they yes, they've I think they've got ten more points than they did this year last year, but um, I think he feels that they could have won the title this year. Oh, he, I, he certainly feels that. I think the game plans he put together were good enough to get into in a position where they should be winning the title this year, and it, it's really hurting him. Well, second place for now. Kevin Anderson writes in and says, James Horncastle has already told me that Mr. Ranieri will be getting some love <laughs> this week. Mr. Claudio Ranieri, who's just secured uh, Sam, Sam Doria's safety for another season. Yeah, I think this has gone under the radar, really, because when he took over, they had three points from seven games. They were bottom of the table, and they have comfortably survived. They've had one of the best records um, since the restart. I think they've won every game but one. Yeah, nobody's taken more points since the start of July. Yeah, um, they lost to to Roma on the, on the first game back from the restart, and that was only really down to two magnificent goals from, from Edin Dzeko. Um, but you consider this was probably the club that was worst affected by COVID-19 in terms of the number of cases that they had. They've got guys like um, Fabio Qualiarella. You look at Qualiarella's age and what he's been able to do over the last, what, three or four seasons. He's now one goal away from matching what Gianluca Viali, the goal tally Viali had um, throughout all his time um, at uh, at Samp. You've got Gabbiadini in double figures scoring free kicks. You've got... Bonazzoli as well, who was, uh, you know, once uh, spoken about as one of the bright up and coming things in Italian football. It never really happened for him, but boy, it's happening for him since the restart because he can't stop scoring. Um, and yeah, Sam Hampton, as they've been called, with Maya Yoshida and Gabbiadini and Gaston Ramirez. Well, uh, it looks like they're going to survive just as the Saints are as well. So yeah, credit to Claudio for turning around the really difficult situation. Yeah, Federica Bonazzoli shaping up to be the new Quagliarella with some of his acrobatic <laughs> scoring strikes. What, what a talent he is. Still only 20, 23, of course, uh, and uh, lovely partnership with him and the great Fabio. Sorry, Jules. No, I was just going to say, with the derby against Genoa, they could even maybe... Like, they, they would not send them down if they win, but if they, if they beat them at the weekend and then other results and there will still be more games after that to play, but... They could, they, this could hurt Genoa even more in their fight against relegation. Imagine if they can stay up and then send the, the rival down. Yeah, because Genoa are responsible for sending Samp down when they last got relegated. Um, who was the Argentine who played for Wigan? Um, who was, uh, who I think, Borelli, I think, something like that. He scored the goal, but Genoa took a huge step towards safety at the weekend by beating Lecce. Um, they're four points ahead. They've got the advantage on head-to-head. And they were lucky. I don't know if anyone saw the goal, <laughs> which did Lecce in. Well, basically, um, uh, th- there's a shot from outside the area. It hits the post. The goalkeeper has dived and it hits the goalkeeper on the back of the head and goes in and wins the game for Genoa. I mean, if that if that is the, the flukiest, most preziosiest uh, uh, way of staying up that I've seen in a long, long time. Mm, Spal are now down uh, after being beaten by Brescia uh, middle of last week. Brescia are still very much under threat along with Lecce, who are four points behind Genoa in the first of the safe positions. Uh, Penguin of Truth <laughs> says, yep, is the next campaign in Serie A destined to be the most open? Says Penguin of Truth, Juventus, Napoli, Atalanta, Inter and... Milan, maybe even Roma and Lazio with a little squad depth, could all challenge. Could the dominance of the old lady, nine straight titles, be coming to an end? Question mark. <laughs> well, I, that's a no. Think, that's a no. When he starts yes. like that, it's a no. But he, you know, he needs to put the forms around. <laughs> no, I kind of think. I kind of think yes, because Juventus haven't been convincing this year. And as I mentioned earlier, I think with Ronaldo in the team, will they ever be able to play the kind of high-pressing style um, that Sarri wants. Uh, I know they're going to make corrections in the transfer window. I've mentioned the two guys they're bringing in, Artur Kulusevski, they'll do some more business. But I think Inter have been very ambitious already in the transfer window with Hakimi. I think they want to bring Tonali in as well. Lazio, whether they can really replicate what they did in the first, what, seven months of the season again, I think it's going to be a challenge. I think Atal- I think the challenge will probably come from Atalanta as well. Because I think that Atlanta will stick together, um, and I think if they do, you know, great things in the Champions League, which they'll win, 
um, this year, then the the only world left to conquer, James, is is Serie A. Um, so so yeah, I think it will be it will be open. Um, so and I think this season has been open and it's been great fun as well watching it. I think that was the only disappointing thing about the weekend was to see Atalanta draw and then Inter draw, and it really kind of let Juventus off the hook in that game against Lazio last night. One final thing is Andrea Pirlo joining Juve's management structure. He's joining their under-23s. Um, and I feel like a fool because when I interviewed Andrew Shevchenko a few weeks ago, he said, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Andrea, he's going to be the coach of under-23s. And I was like, mm, I'm not sure he is. That's not out. Um, and lo and behold, a week later, <laughs> that, came, that came out, that he'll be replacing Fabio Pecchia. Um, but, and- I mean, it, it is a surprise, though, because... He, had, he, had he shown much inclination to leave the vineyard and the slippers and and, <laughs> and take up the whiteboard? So he had to. He has taken his coaching badges, unlike uh, Daniel De Rossi. Um, so, but it is a little bit of a surprise. I, I think there was a time. I, th- I think this has been on the cards for a while. I think Juventus had pitched this to him, and he was initially reluctant. Um, but I think he looks at it as a good opportunity in what the third division. Um, with a with a good squad for that level, um, yeah, they just won the Coppa Italia, the kind of FA Vars of of Italian football um, down there, and uh, they got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. The playoffs are crazy down in the third division, just absolutely nuts. I think there are about three hundred teams involved in the playoffs, and you have to go through three rounds of playoffs, like regional, national, and then a final four to even get there. It's like another season. Um, but I think that's a really interesting appointment um, and we'll have to see whether... It's certainly a draw for young players to go and play for Juventus under-23s in the way it wasn't before because I know that they've looked at a lot of English players, players who played for Arsenal in their sort of youth teams and said, why don't you come over to Italy uh, and play for us? And they've, they're like, well, we don't want to be mixing it against Reggiana and Vicenza and that sort of thing. But now all of a sudden you've got Pirlo there and it becomes that little bit more appealing, doesn't it? Mm, certainly does. Now, magnificent stuff. Thank you, James. Still to come, some of your exciting Twitter questions, listener. But next up, equally excitingly, let's go and find out all about Turkey's new and very surprising champions. To Turkey. One round to go in the Super League. But already this weekend, confirming Turkey's new champions, Basak Shahir. Remarkably, it's a club even younger than Paris Saint-Germain. They didn't exist until 1990. Also remarkably, with one round to go, the big three of Galatasaray, Besiktas and Fenerbahce, who account for all but one Turkish title since 1984, are not even in the top three. Although Besiktas are fourth and one point off the Champions League places. What has happened to them and who are Basak Shahir? We're joined now by Turkish sports journalist Yordi Yamali. Yordi, thanks for joining us. Uh, last couple of years, they've been threatening to do something like this. Uh, they have a team packed with familiar faces. Uh, who, who've been the stars that have made this happen? Well, there's, there's one... The biggest star, and they're, they're, we're talking about making a statue for the guy. That's a, it's a guy from Bosnia. It's Edin Fischer. They find him from the Bosnian league. He's there now for his ninth season, and he's like a great wine, and he gets better every year. This year, he had 18 goals and 14 as, assists, I think. So they have some they have some star players like they had in the past Adebayor, and now they have Robinho. They have uh, Eldro Elia, the Dutch winger. But in the end, it's a really good team with yeah. Uh, 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 they, they do their defense a lot and I think it was important to change the coach because mainly the credit should go to the former coach, Abdullah Auge. But that was more like a, like a defensive coach and, and when the, 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 uh, the stress levels were going up in the, in the last phases of the competition, last years, they always choked and now there was an attacking-minded coach and that made a lot of big difference. Mm. Uh, listener Mikey Kluwer, a.k.a. That Red-Haired Dude, says, can we have a special mention for Demba Barr, who came back from that potential career-ending leg break to finish as Basaksehir's top scorer and secure his second Turkish league title? How good a season has he had? He had a great season, and we were all surprised by that. He was He's like pending within China and Turkey, uh, uh, doing some uh, 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 comebacks on a loan, and 
the best part of him was like disappeared already the last couple of two, three seasons. But this season he was like uh, reborn and he was really fighting uh, in front of the uh, uh, attacking uh, part of uh, Bojak what, what were they called before 2014, Jordi? They, they changed their name then, huh? Yeah, they changed their name. It was uh, uh, Istanbul Büyükşehir Belediye because uh, uh, the, the team oranges came from uh, uh, the uh, municipality. They were created by them. It's, it's, it's a common thing in Turkey that uh, every municipality had their own teams and they were founded in 1990 and through like amateurs and then became semi-professionals and then became professionals. And in the last couple of years, yeah, they, uh, they had some power behind them. Right. And when you talk about power behind them, there are some kind of interesting ties with uh, uh, President Erdogan's uh, ruling political party. He even turned out uh, for them in, in an exhibition match. Uh, did yes, he yes, not? yes. He, he, there was an exhibition match during the opening of the stadium and he scored a hat-trick. <laughs> uh, of course. Yeah, he's, he's a really big supporter. And it's known that uh, the government and more of the, 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 the uh, municipality of Istanbul, when they were ruling it, uh, they covered some of the uh, beginning budgets and they are helping to find some sponsors because the craziest thing, of course, to f- for people in Turkey that the uh, new champion has no supporters. They have no, uh, uh, no people in the stands. When you say none, h- how many is their average attendance? Yeah, they, they will put on uh, on the internet like a 3,000 average. But if you remove the ones who really pay for the ticket, I think there will be only like 1,000 or 500 people that were not so into football and maybe are supporting the the government a little bit more than other people. They will go, but it's it, they will never get the big attendance. They will never sell out the stadium. And, and your view as well, what they benefited from is the fact that the big three, Galatasaray and Besiktas and Fenerbahce, again, were, were a bit average this season, weren't they? They were certainly not as good as they have been before in the past when they had those, those great teams, even in Europe. And I think that's why as well, Trasbon Sport and Silver Sport, I don't know the last time that neither of the big three were in the top three in the league, but maybe that never happened before. I think it never happened before. I know for sure that Fenerbahce is now for the second time uh, uh, outside of the top five, and that didn't happen for like 60 years. So it's, it's, it's really starting to get a problem for the, for the traditional big clubs because they're in decline. Uh, uh, financial fair play is one part of it. So they, they are try, they're trying their best, but they have to sell to buy. That results in average players. So, and also, like Galatasaray, they spend a lot of money on starting of the season and they always do that with in mind that they will become champion and uh, the Champions League money will come the next year. But now they are outside of the European football, so that will be a real, real big problem. And continuing this, I don't know where this will, is going to end because they're all in major depths and without the, 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 the tens, of, uh, tens of 20 million uh, uh, euros from the UEFA, I don't know where this is going to end. It's a real mm. big problem. Besiktas are one point behind Sivaspor, so there is some chance they might still make it into uh, the yeah. Champions League. Of course, uh, Basaksha here still in the Europa League. They're 1-0 one, one up from their first leg against Copenhagen. Could be yeah. potentially facing Man United in the last 16 if they both progress. Uh, amidst the background of the problems for the big sides and the help from uh, the government for Basaksha here... Uh, how are relations with other... Well, they don't have any fans themselves, but how are Basaksha here viewed by uh, fans of Istanbul's other big clubs? Are there a lot of conspiracy theories? Is there a lot of suspicion? No, I, I don't really think so. I've seen a couple of, of journalists trying to, to, to get that out, but uh, uh, there are a, there is a lot of conspiracy inside the Turkish uh, league, but that's only around the big clubs and, and to each other. There's not really conspiracy about uh, refereeing uh, uh, advantage or anything. And some people say that uh, Erdogan wanted to make them champion or, or something, but then he could have done that in the last couple of years because it, it was already uh, uh, possible, like every season they started in uh, uh, getting to the top four. So I, I don't really believe that. And, and yeah, I think they won a lot of sympathy this year the main difference with the coach is that he took the European games seriously. And like you said, they're still in the Europa League. And that was a big frustration for the, for the other fans to even hate them a little bit more because the, the, the coach here for Avje, he didn't took Europa League serious. So he always wanted to become champion. And then the, he just, yeah, uh, 
get battered in the in the in the, in the first qualifying round or, or didn't get a point in in the group phase of the Europa League. So that was that that put some sympathy in them. Tweets. David Thomas says, "Who do each of you think will win in the Champions League?" No Paris tinted glasses, Julian says. David Thomas, Julian, let's begin with you. Of course, PSG will win it, and it's not me having tainted glasses. I think they have a great chance if they go past Atalanta, and that would be a tricky game, as we explained already before. Uh, then maybe Atletico in the in the semi final, which or even RB Leipzig, but with, without Timo Werner, I don't think they can they can go past Atletico. So I still think PSG could be Atletico as well, and then and then it's the final. So I would think that this is the year where you know we have a big big chance. Realistically, okay. PSG says Jules Alvaro. Paris Saint-Germain for you as well? We Go cannot on. underestimate uh, the, the calendar. I think yeah. that uh, there is an easier part of the draw and it plays a part. I'm sorry, but it does play a part. All that said, I think that uh, on the basis of what I've seen from June onwards, the best team has been Bayern, but at the same time they've been uh, not resting, but definitely not playing competitive football for almost a month. And I don't know if that is going to cut a little bit their mojo, but on the basis of what I've seen uh, from the restart, Bayern has to be the favourite. If anyone's used, though, to not playing competitive football, it's Paris Saint-Germain, so that's a... Uh-huh. a so Bayern thing. is a good shot. Bayern is a good... It would be my, my, my shot if I was not a PSG fan. What I really want to see at the Estadio Luge on August 23rd in Lisbon is Paris Saint-Germain play against Man City and watch <laughs> UEFA... And Severin basically have to give the trophy to one of those guys. Um, that would be just amazing. For me, it's, I mean, Zidane's name is kind of already on this trophy. No? Zidane just he, he doesn't participate in Champions Leagues without mm. winning them. Um, but he's 2-1 so, down, though. 2-1 down from the leg at yeah. the Bernabeu. But you saw what City were like against Arsenal the other day. Mm. Um, I, I, for me, I, I think... Going on the side of the draw that they are, looking at the talent that they've got, I mean, I'm minded to say Paris. I'm not doing that to jinx Jules. I, I just think oh. this format, this format could work in their favour. I know what you really think, James, and it's not Paris Saint-Germain, but we'll respect your decision not, not to say that. Marvellous. Well, many thanks, James, Julien and Alvaro for today. Of course, we'll be back with another Euro edition next week. Do send us more Twitter questions for that. We'll also have a regular uh, Totally Football show back on Thursday, running up all the midweek action and looking forward to the final weekend of the Premier League. Ooh, and there's a Totally Football League show out on Thursday as well, so you're going to be busy, listener, aren't you? Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll catch up with you soon. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.